0: such a time as this. The Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. This is Dr. Lee for America here with another team of our whistleblowers who are bringing you the truth about the lies, deceptions, and all of the assaults on our way of life, your freedom, and your life. For such a time as this, we are here to bring you truth, hope, and solutions. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, for medical help, legal help, And all of the other resources join us in our Faith Over Fear seminars each Tuesday night via Zoom at eight o'clock Eastern Time every week. And now, here is your host for today.
1: Okay, got it.
2: Welcome. I'm Mike Gary, your host for today's Whistleblower Report, and this is going to be another military segment. And this is going to be an extremely interesting. Uh, conversation that we have today about the decay in the military. But before we get into that, I want to thank all the Truth For Health uh, Foundation donors. We certainly appreciate all the legal funds that you supplied us with uh, for all the legal battles that we have waged with our military recipients and others over the last three years of COVID tyranny. So we really appreciate that. The foundation does need your funds to continue to operate. Now, right out of the gate, um, I want to put out there that neither my guest or myself are representing the Department of the Defense uh, today. Okay, so we are free men speaking, using our First Amendment rights, speaking our with our free minds, and communicating with the public our own opinions. Uh, as you know, I'm Mike Gary, Seaburn officer. 26 years of service; 15 of those years are as a Seaburn, Cam Bio Rad nuclear weapons expert uh, with uh, hazmat training and for Seaburn type responses with local authorities. So that is my background. But today, I'm excited to introduce Sergeant Major Steve Baker who has a really interesting career. And uh, when I think of him, I think of the movie Full Metal Jacket. If you haven't seen that, Jim, you got to go watch that. Uh, and uh, you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about as I <laughs> let my guest uh, give you a brief uh, bio of his background. And again, he comes with years and years of experience. So I can't think of anybody more qualified to talk about uh this topic today. And the topic that we're going to talk about, I touched on it briefly, is the uh moral decay that's going on within the military. It's a very serious subject. I think civilians are now starting to get a sense of how far gone the military is. And the story that we present to you today uh, is going to be the latest example of how bad it is how politically bad it is within the military but before we get into that story i'm gonna let sergeant major steve baker uh explain who he is and where he's been in the military steve
1: uh thank you michael i'd like to start off by saying uh I made three really bad decisions that turned out to be good decisions in the long run, but in the beginning, it seemed like pretty bad decisions. I quit high school. I joined the Marine Corps and I volunteered for Vietnam. That was quite a paradigm shift from being in high school. Uh, at that time, even in 1967, they were starting to preach a lot of things that I didn't go along with, uh, my history teacher, my government teachers, those sorts of things. It just didn't resonate with me. And I remember, uh, my history teacher was talking about something, and I just had this thought come to my mind. I said, she's a communist. Well, I didn't even know what a communist was, but I knew she was one. So I was pretty inexperienced and just a kid. anyway. rate, so I joined the Marine Corps. As I said, I went to Vietnam. I served in First Force Recon, which is this, in those days was the beginning of Special Forces. So uh, you run around out in the boondocks all by yourself looking for the bad guys. But what I want to say about the military as I get into this it's it's the job of the military to fight and win America's wars. It doesn't regu- it doesn't matter who starts them. Uh, we're the ones are supposed to finish them. And so, in Rush Limbaugh's famous words, we're supposed to uh, kill people and break things. And that's who we are. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're the cook. It doesn't matter if you're the infantryman on the pointy of the stick or any of those. You're part of a team. So, a pointy pointy stick has a shaft behind it, and that's the rest of the team. I just want to make that clear. That's where I'm coming from on this. It's any divisiveness in the military is totally destructive and inhibits our ability to fight and win wars for this country. All right. Having said that, uh, I was a corporal in Vietnam, sort of my time and uh, I went to uh, I put in for what they call embassy duty, which is actually Marine security guard duty. And having gone through that, training in washington dc they sent me off my first uh, post i went to was jerusalem israel which was called palestine in those days so it's just kind of an odd paradigm shift that i was going through so mentally i kind of got i guess jerked around a little bit um first few years in the Corps, but i uh, accelerated pretty fast i was an eight-year gunnery sergeant which was an e7 uh, i was serving in uh, quantico virginia uh and my uh, master gunny, which is an E9, called me in. He says, I got some good news, and I got some bad news. Well, that's never good news at all, when you hear that in, from the E9. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the bad news? And he says, you're going to the drill field to become a drill instructor. Well, that was, um, for us in those days, you either lost a stripe or made a stripe. It was a very difficult duty, and it was very demanding, and you had extremely high standards, and pretty much it was a very high attrition rate. I said, well, gee, what's the good news? He says, you're not going to Paris Island, you're going to MCRD San Diego. Well, that was good news. <laughs> uh, Paris Island is kind of like hell on the coast. At any rate, so I went and I served for two years as a drill instructor, and I learned quite a bit about not only myself, but how the core formed and where the discipline comes from and why everybody's holding together. Obviously, having been through boot camp, I looked on the other side of that uh, and, and sort of well. well, what we did is we formed teams, and you didn't put up with any divisiveness in your platoon. Um, you might not get along well with the other platoon, but when it, come time, when it comes time to fight, you're all in the same team. And so as a drill sergeant or a drill instructor in the Marine Corps, um, I turned out basically qualified Marines that were ready to go to whatever MOS training they were going to have. They're going to be a truck driver, infantryman, you know, whatever that might've been. I had been trained initially in the, in the infantry, and then I came back and I um, reclassified, and I was an electronic technician, which is kind of an odd shift from a grunt. But at any rate, uh, so I got to see a lot of different parts of Marine Corps and Marine barracks. Uh, I trained I and I staff for uh, tanks up in Yakima, Washington, and so I spent most of my time either in training for combat or training other people for combat. The whole point being is you want these guys to live for that first 30 seconds when they get into combat doesn't work out for everybody but they have to be able to get past that first moment when they get their head up looking around and rely on their training it was our job to make that happen and uh what more or less got me involved in this and we'll talk about this later is a private in the army right now that's uh seems like he's in some sort of foreign army it doesn't make any sense to me what they're doing at at any rate uh you become quite quite uh Conversant with the UCMJ, which is the Uniform Code of Military Justice that we use for, for the most part, you can have what they call non-judicial punishment. Uh, that way, it doesn't become part of your permanent record. Like if you got arrested for doing something out in town, and so you become very aware of that. That becomes one of the, the, uh, the legs on the stool that allows you to get, to, you know, to do the things you need to do. But in boot camp, <clears throat> from time to time. You're going to have a drill instructor that crosses the line it just happens and we all watch out for each other we all try to keep that from happening and when it would happen uh we would do the best we could from recover it but we would uh we'd report them because if in our philosophy if you had to beat a, beat a marine he wasn't going to be a very good marine and so we had abuses that occurred from time to time just like any other time in training in fact when i was on the drill field uh in our regiment, it wasn't in my particular battalion, we lost two privates. And it was just because of poor leadership in one case, and the other one was it was just just one of those things uh, that happened. Again, it went back to poor leadership, a bad judgment, and it was ultimately two deaths. Now this is back in the 70s, so this was a long time ago. So these things happen. We're playing with guns, we're playing with vehicles that'll run over you, stuff that blows up, people get hurt from time to time, but we do everything we can to keep that from happening. But I guess the point I wanted to make was, your job as a drill instructor or a drill sergeant is to build a cohesive army or a cohesive military, cohesive Marine Corps, whatever you want to call it. People that live together, fight together and survive together and accomplish the mission together. And any divisiveness that goes in that absolutely undermines it. And the chances are not good that you're going to survive. There was an extreme example during the Gulf War when it first got to Gulf go for the, uh, I ran when it first started. Uh, there was a trucking company that was supposed to be going somewhere, doing something, and they got lost. So the captain will have to figure out where they were. Well, they got ambushed during that period of time, so they had no commanding officer. He should, he should have never lived. Again, poor leadership. The captain's trained not to run away from his company and go do something else. The first sergeant paid, for, paid with his life because these people weren't trained. So these things have consequences. And it starts at the top and goes to the bottom. and starts at the bottom and goes to the top. And if you're a private, you have to trust those people above you. It's a heck of a responsibility. As a gunnery sergeant, I was a weapons platoon commander for a period of time in the reserve system. I had mortars. I had what they call laws. That's used for taking out bunkers and tanks. And I had six machine guns. And uh, I would loan those out throughout the company, depending on what the mission was. And there's certain ways you utilize those things. You just don't say, well, that looks cool. In the movies, you just go blow some stuff up. No, there's certain ways you go about it. The idea is accomplish the mission and survive in that order. And so I look at today's Army, and I don't want to get too far into that, Mike, but I get, I look at today's Army and Marines, and I, it's very difficult to figure out what they're thinking. But my bottom line is, is it appears to me with the, the, the not so isolated events that I read and hear and see uh, they're eating their young. Now they're going to have a difficult time fighting because if this is how they're doing it, this is how we're training the young people. And when they come up, this is how they think they're supposed to react. And if you're not cohesive, you're not going to get metal on target. And you're going to die and we're going to lose. So anyway, as I went to my, uh, my career, I served in a lot of different places, spent a lot of time overseas. Uh, One of those was, uh, interestingly, Gitmo. Back in those days, we weren't worried about terrorists having to have a place to live and the resorts, that sort of thing. So uh, we did have boat people come up from Haiti. We rescued them, brought them in. I spoke enough French so that I could help get everybody around at the time. When I was on embassy duty, I had to learn French. So uh, there were people that come up on boats, takes a lot of courage. The boat was singing when we res- sinking when we rescued them. So we brought them on the shore and we returned them back to where they came from. It was a slightly different world in those days. But in Cuba, the mission down there was just to maintain Guantanamo Bay. So we had minefields that uh, we used in case we were assaulted. It was, we used to kind of think of it as a joke. We had about 40 seconds to live if they were, if the Cubans decided to, uh, to attack. But, uh, and we lost one Marine that year. I was there in the minefield. He made a mistake and he paid for it. So again, I just want to impress on everybody that, uh, these are real people with real lives doing real things that can get themselves killed, and their leadership, if it isn't rock solid, can get them killed also. Uh, you have to believe in your leaders. And what we've seen recently that we'll discuss later is uh, it's really a travesty, it quite frankly is. But uh, we, we, the NCOs, just go off a, a rail here for just a second, the non-commissioned officers are the backbone of any military. They're the ones that do most of the work. Uh, if you're in an infantry platoon, which that's what most people think of as the military, is the infantry platoon, um, you go into combat, your officer usually doesn't last that long because they're leading from the front, uh, and it's just the way it is. In Vietnam, we didn't have very many officers. You can only train them so fast. Uh, it doesn't mean they all get killed, but their um, their attrition rate's pretty high getting wounded in, in kia and so the NCOs, you'll find yourself as a corporal running a squad, calling in fixed wing, dropping ordnance on things, calling in B-52 bombers, really we used to call it rocking and rolling, but uh, that's a lot of responsibility for just a little old E-4 that's been in the service for about a year or two. But these, this is what these people face. We, we call them kids, but they're men and they're women. Uh, th- these are the things they have to face. And so you certainly want your NCO core to have ethics, understand what their mission is, understand what their job is, and understand how to handle other men and women and not be abusive and not be sadistic and those types of things. Unfortunately, a lot of this gets hyped up with the media and, you know, this is a good day to die. Well, okay. I haven't found too many people that thought that was really a, a way to go about things. It was a good day to die. It's a good day to make sure the other guy's doing that. But, um, the way I got involved in this interview is because of some things that are going on in the military today. I was appalled years ago when I was hearing about wear, wearing the red high heels. And as a you know, humorously, like, I wonder where you find a pair of 12 red high heels. Some of these guys are pretty big. But to, to men, put, put men in high heels, what do what you accomplish in there? So I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the just a total breakdown of our society and our culture. And you have to do it in certain areas so it can be effective. One of those is the military. Um, go ahead Mike
2: yeah I can't think of anybody any better to uh, talk about this being a marine drill instructor and just hearing you speak uh, you know the bedrock of what the military does is built the foundation of it being able to accomplish its mission or its training to actually uh, you know complete its mission is trust I've heard you say the word trust several times. It goes up and down and then down and up uh, through the chain of command. And what makes the uh, United States military unique is what you said already, is the NCO Corps. And I don't think our uh, civilian population appreciates how unique our United States military is by having what you called the backbone, which is the NCO Corps. It's built in a way that people are ready to replace the ones that are above them immediately, step into that position and fulfill those duties looking upward. And that's the type of mentality the United States military has had. In order for uh, it to be so successful, you're always training the guy below you to do your job in case you don't make it. And uh, it's, it's such a special thing. That's why this is such a bitter pill for us uh, military veterans to swallow, because we know how good and trustworthy our service and our duty was with other like-minded people. And like you're saying, throw some red high heels in there is destroying the moral fabric of what the military is. It's breaking all bonds of trust up and down the chain of command. And this is an extremely sad thing. I think civilians are finally getting hit. They're finally starting to see how broke the military is, particularly after the COVID mandates. This is when you know, they were able to sneak uh, what we're calling this woke agenda, political agenda into the military and pretty near destroy it from being able to accomplish its mission. So I can't think of anybody any better than you right now from being, (laughs) having experience from the Vietnam era where you were losing lieutenants, uh, you know, every 60 seconds, whatever the, the uh, mark was, uh, (laughs) and and having to actually fulfill, uh, uh, you know, a position one or two up in order to have mission success or even to keep the platoon alive. Uh, this is quite uh, an awesome thing to have you on speaking about this. And now we're in a moment where we have Gen Z in the military, uh, the Zoomers as they call them. And then we have this story about, uh, which is written by Wendy M- Mahoney uh, in the undercoverdc.com. This will be linked to this story as you read it later on. And it's called The Trials of Private Marinon. Uh, DEI is a prescription for failure in the military, and I'm just going to read one brief excerpt from it. It's Private Piero Morano Valesco, age 32, is stationed at Fort Jackson in South Carolina. For months now, he has been subjected to restriction, punishment, and harassment, allegedly because of his beliefs and opinions. Uh, Steve, do you want to expand on that anymore?
1: I'd be actually be happy to. Um, I, I thought it was kind of um, serendipity. Of, through marriage, I have a, a niece who got married to, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was Bolivia or down there someplace. Uh, and he immigrated to the United States legally. And he knew that he needed to do a couple of things, and he wanted to become a a citizen, so he joined the army, and everything worked out for him, great. And he's in the army now, serving as a I don't know truck driver or something. Uh, And it was just you know it was a success story. So when I read about this with this private, uh, and and Wendy's an awesome writer by the way, this is where I met her through this this article. She really covered it well. There's a number of fairly famous uh, veterans that's gotten involved in this once they were notified of the the situation, and they've been talking to the brigade commander, which is getting up there pretty high, and the battalion commander uh, trying to intervene and, and, and get some justice for this guy. He's 32 years old. He's survived the shining path. Don't know the, all, any of the details about that, but they're a terrorist organization, communist left wing, whatever you want to call it, down that part of the world. Uh, he's gone through that, and a mutual friend of ours, who I won't mention his name, was talking to him on the phone, and uh, he says, well, how are you how are you handling all this? And he says, I, I I got through the shining path. This is nothing. These guys were a joke. Okay, well, that's that's great, but that's not the attitude. You want this 32-year-old private in the Army to have that he had to take on the battalion commander, the brigade commander, his NCOs, et cetera, et cetera, and say they're just a joke. Uh, I think it's kind of embarrassing for the backbone of that particular command, not to mention the commanding officers as they go up through it. At any rate, uh, apparently he's getting some relief right now, but if you put DEI in – What's the first word? It's Diversity. Um, I remember, I probably was in the '80s. I was driving to work or something, and I was something on the, the the radio, and it said something about strength through diversity. And I remember it caught my attention at the time. And I thought, who's the moron that said that? You know, how can you be strong when you're divided? Uh, I mean, Abraham Lincoln brought that up, I believe, one time about a house divided against itself. So. so that's when that was starting is back in those days. And here we are today where diversity is the main leadership trait now for these people in politics quite often, but for people in the military, there should be no diversity in the military. The worst diversity you should run into is people have different military occupational specialties, but it doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman, if they're 18 or 32 or whatever, when the bullets start flying, they really quit caring about all that stuff. Uh, And, people they're supporting don't carry about it. And when people come in from combat, they really don't want to put up with a bunch of trivial crap. They don't have a, they don't have a temper for it. They don't have, uh, they're, they're just not going to, uh, go along with the program on that. And so you're building a bigger problem. Uh, I don't want to say there's mutinies, the rest of that, but what's coming down to, if you've got, you've got what we consider to be a, uh, it's difficult to discuss some of these things without sounding pejorative because typically I am. If I had someone in my platoon or my company that was running around trying to make trouble, um, I'm going to grab them and pull them out, and they're going to have a bad day the rest of the day and the next week and the week after that. But I'd like to bring up one thing. Uh, Back when I was in the Corps, we ran into into an issue, which I can bring up a little bit later, but this is when the people were – rioting because of race riots and the rest of that. And I can explain that. I think we got a break coming up, so I can explain that after the break. Uh how we dealt with that and when when we found out what was actually going on. And I'll flip it back over to you, Mike, but it's this is kind of an interesting story.
2: Yeah, sounds good, Steve. Yeah, uh when we get on the other side of the break, you can explain that and how it relates to uh Private Marinin. And t- for the audience out there, I just want you to be aware of his beliefs and opinions. Well, his chain of command went after him because somebody had seen on his uh, smartphone screensaver that he had uh, MAGA, <laughs> a MAGA screensaver. So this is, this is not allowed anymore. You're not allowed to have your own uh, conservative Christian uh, personal opinions anymore in the United States military. This was seen heavy handed during the COVID era. And uh, again, I'm one of the casualties of that, the unvaxxed that was pushed out being like a MAGA supporter or a domestic extremist. So this is how this private is being treated. Uh, Essentially, the United States military can get away with breaking uh, laws, regulations, and policies, (laughs) because if you're a MAGA person, it's okay to do that. So just so the audience knows... On the night before his basic training graduation, uh, his chain of command gave him Article 15, which is an administrative punishment without any awareness. And his family had traveled, some of them from Peru, his mother and his wife had traveled from several states over uh, to see his graduation the next day, of which he wasn't allowed to graduate. So on the next, on the other side of the break, we will uh, share a Sergeant Major's story and we'll discuss um, this private story uh, in a little more detail. So I just want to thank everybody that goes to our website, uh, the truth for health, uh, dot org. We appreciate all the donations that we have been given over the years. and We'll be back right after the break.
0: Check out the new Truth For Health store at TruthForHealthStore.com. We have exclusive professional formulas with exciting new products, including True Mitochondrial Boost that can help improve your energy, memory, focus, and concentration. All of our products are manufactured in certified compliant facility using good manufacturing practices approved and inspected by the FDA. Check us out, www.truthforhealthstore.com.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our show. This is the Whistleblower Report from the Truth Mm For Health Foundation. And this is a military segment where we're discussing the moral decay inside the armed forces. I have with me today uh, Sergeant Major Retired Steve Baker, who was a Marine drill instructor. I can think of nobody better to speak on this topic. Uh, Than him, where he has several decades of service dating back to the Vietnam era, where we actually did near peer uh, uh, actual um, force on force type of warfare, unlike the policing actions that we've done in the last 20 years. So we've got a really good perspective uh, to share with us today, especially on the moral decay that's going on. Sergeant Major, do you want to finish the story that you were starting to share with us on the first half?
1: Yes, I will. Uh, uh, in 70, I think it started in the uh, like '70, 70, 71, 72. It was after the Olympics. So it had to be after 72, I think. And so there was a lot of, uh, quote, unquote, because of the newspapers at the time. Uh, there was all these race riots going on in the military. Uh, the first race riot we had in the Marine Corps was at Camp Lejeune and it was a big deal in the newspapers, and there were some people stabbed. Uh, I don't think there was any deaths in that one, but there was a lot of people hurt, it was a few hundred people were involved in it. It turns out it was between Puerto Ricans and blacks. There was no whites involved in the thing, so, the, of course, the press had turned that thing into a flamethrower, uh, making it look like that the whites are beaten, and on and on and on. And back in those times, for those people who didn't live through them, they were harrowing times. Uh, it was just hard for most of us to believe what was really going on. And so the Kitty Hawk had a little problem below decks. They uh, had a, some sort of riot down there, and they almost burnt the, burnt, the, <laughs> they almost burnt the aircraft carrier to the waterline, and you couldn't get down there, um, you know, to put out, put out the fires, that sort of thing. So, anyway, there's a lot of that sort of thing going on. Well, we found out about four or five years later that the uh, you know, everybody was everybody used to use the word communist back in those days. Whatever, the uh, they were said that they were communist. They were there was super smart guys. Black guys, uh, Puerto Ricans, Hispanic people, people of color, if you will, were put into the different militaries and they were model soldiers, airmen, marines sailors, etc, until they'd been in about four or five years, got to be like a rank of sergeant, E five petty officer, that type of thing. and that's when they started the dissension in the ranks and it was a uh, it was a nightmare so what the Marine Corps decided that they would handle this a little differently uh, with all the problems we had going on by doing what they call the unit discussion leadership. And I was one of the ones assigned to that. You went to school for 13, uh, it was for three weeks, and you came back and you had a manual you used and you had a colonel down to a private in there and you walked through these things. You didn't do sensing, you didn't do uh, words to enrage people, the rest of that. So it was very professionally done. And so uh, I did that as a little side job in the Corps for a period of time for my normal job. That, that's how we put it together. The point I wanted to make was, is, this is very simpler, what's going on today. We tried to solve the problem of what was coming to us from the civilian world, because we're just a macroism of what's happening in the civilian world. Uh, today, what they're doing is they're throwing gasoline on it. So back to this private, uh, we were just talking about uh, Private Moranin. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Uh, the platoon that he was in saw how he was handled, they saw how he become the crux of all the problems in that particular platoon. He was talking on the phone, and he was talking to his wife. And his wife, he's he's light, he's dark skinned, but he's, he's like light dark skinned. And his wife is apparently white skinned. And anyway, so he was talking with her, and a black soldier's uh, female came up and said, "says What don't you? That's a white girl. Don't you like black girls?" So this is the type of abuse he was putting up on a fairly sustained basis i'll put it that way and so there was just about every punitive <laughs> ucmj article um, you can think of is probably was directed at him and that was violated so at any rate he, he put up with all that so like you were talking earlier uh his mother's coming up from peru his wife's coming out from las vegas she's seven months pregnant he's got a kid and the night before he's supposed to graduate which they hadn't told anybody about it they said you're not graduating And then uh, one thing led to the next, as I understand it, the brigade commander sent down a lieutenant to uh, interview him. She spent about three hours with him. Uh, She apologized on behalf of the United States Army, on behalf of the particular command he was in and all the abuse he was suffering. So she went back up to brigade. Don't know the story there. And apparently very quickly after that, don't know if it was the next day or the day after, uh, the company commander came down and said they were going to Chapter 14 Okay, there's a couple of ways you can get a private out of the uh, the military. You can chapter 11 them, as I recall. It's been a few years, and it's not for anything they've done bad. They're just not adaptable to the military, so got some problems. So they go ahead and chapter them out. That doesn't affect your record. Chapter 14 is your disciplinary problem. You got so they're kicking you out. Um, don't know where that sits right now. I understand there's a lot of things turning around when uh, our mutual friend was talking to him on the phone. One of the drill sergeants came up and started calling him a, a mother effer and just pretty abusive to him on the phone. Well, I was talking to Mike earlier that I was a drill instructor, like I said, for two years in the Marine Corps. and I used a lot of language that you wouldn't use anyplace else, but I never once called a private that particular name. It's just when you don't use, you save it for the enemy. You don't save it for your own people. It was kind of like that was the Apparently that's changed now. That's what you use for everything. Um, but... Keeping him from his First Amendment, his uh, in fact, they told him that if his uh, wife sent him a package that it would be sent back, he wouldn't get it, that they sent a letter, they'd send it back. Now, this is what we're being told. This is what's probably going to be in a court trial if it goes that far. To find out that that's happening in our United States Army, why would we expect anybody to want to fight a war? The ones that got away with the abuse of that private, they're probably not going to be interested in fighting a war. They're cowards. The one that's got that abuse going on, he's probably not interested in staying in the army. I mean, if you stop and walk in those shoes for a minute and you say, well, gee, he must have done something bad. Well, he could have done anything bad enough to warrant this type of treatment he, if he was a hard to get along with, you know, whatever. And he probably gave off a little bit of attitude, in my opinion, because, like I say, he had been dealing with terrorists for a number of years. So he probably had a pretty hard core in him. But he exhibited the fact he was a conservative. He had Trump on the phone. That was the MAGA thing. People saw that and here we go. And it's all under this DEI. What's the final result of DEI going to be? I, I think that's self. It's what we call a self-licking ice cream cone. You can figure that out at this point in time. Um, but anyway, I appreciate the fact that I could tell you about we've been through something similar to this because the, the hardest part of being a drill sergeant or a drill instructor is you're taking raw material from the surveying world, um, you, you learn that there's certain trends. We got people from Chicago in my particular outfit where I was coming. That's where they would recruit in from. They were the hardest people to learn how to shoot of anybody I've ever seen. They just couldn't figure out how to do it. But if you wanted a brawl, you had it made. The ones that were solid were the ones coming from Iowa. They just, nothing shook them up. They just walked through the whole thing. They could shoot good. So you learn from different parts of the, the, the country, and what the what the lesson is there is we all come from a subculture, and is the drill the guy that's in charge of making turning them into a basic military person. You have to cut through all that stuff and make it happen. But I used to laugh. Uh, we we get these guys from Chicago, and it's like you know if you didn't tell them which end the bullet came through, they probably just shot himself on the shoulder. Now today that might have changed, but I can tell you, turning your pistol on the side and pulling the trigger, you're not going to hit much. The uh, ballistics don't work that way. But it, uh, it was, for me, it was, it was um, well, as, as time went on and I got more and more rank, uh, I became a sergeant major. Even as a sergeant major, typically you didn't counsel people. That happened at a lower level. Uh, you might show up for court-martials or Article 15s, make recommendations, those kinds of things. But occasionally you'd have to counsel with the troop. Uh, might be a good well all of a sudden now I have to keep the door open three inches if it's a woman and that's all because of some people that did something stupid 25 years ago I guess Uh, remember when they had the sexual abuse cases with the army drills back in the 90s that was a terrible thing Uh, so all of a sudden you're watching what it is in the military today in my opinion the few people I'm still talking to I I usually just talk with officers now because what I do as a civilian but everybody's looking over their shoulder and back to the shots that you were talking about, when, I'm gonna say this was 1976, is when the swine flu shot came out. Well, we didn't know anything. We we're just being told the swine flu, is gonna die, gotta get a shot. Okay, salute the flag move out. Well, the way that worked is, is in those days, you collected your paycheck from the commanding officer or whom he had cited, like S1 or something like that. So you walked up you didn't have your, your, your shirt on and they gave you a shot in each arm. And then you walked forward and you got your check. said hi to the skipper and went about your business. Thought I was going to die for three days from that swine flu shot. So that was my first indication that the medical people weren't telling you the truth. And that was how many years ago? And so when this one came along, <laughs> you can't get me to take this shot with a gun to the back of my head. Just get it over with. And we're right. seeing more and more right. problems. You
2: like know, I, I want to point something out to the listeners, too because th- this is really good representation here because essentially uh, your career spans several decades and uh, I <laughs> you're not the only one from the Vietnam era that has told me about that nasty swine flu vaccine, okay?
1: So I stop not. And
2: so I, I have learned, you know, from, from my elders, so to speak here, uh, <laughs> from my past, uh, you know, service members that shared good information saying the swine flu shot was not good. You're not the only one, Sergeant Major, that has told me that. Okay. And then the Desert Storm um, era personnel uh, have told me about the anthrax shot. So here we have several different shots spanning, what, uh, almost four or five decades now that have hurt service members. So we know we've been used as guinea pigs uh, during this time, uh, you know, on the medical side of things, but that has translated over to just a moral decay of how we treat uh, soldiers or service members anyway now, because they can only have one uh, opinion, one political view or one thought process that is accepted in the military. And there is no more like melding, uh, like a bunch of mini cultures into the military culture anymore. The military culture has turned into a political culture, like the epitome of the political culture. And this is the sad thing that we're sharing amongst us, uh, and that this, you know, civilian population needs to be aware of the military culture is gone, it's gone. And now there's a whole separate discussion amongst veterans, like, like, like people that have recently retired, that still care about the military, some people like me who are just barely hanging into the military with one toe in, uh, trying to figure out how we're going to fix this thing. How do we restore the military back to its old glory? What, what's, what's the mechanism? Money? What's the mechanism to, to bring it back? to where it's a trustworthy organization that has that backbone, that unique backbone that no other military in the world has. And uh, back to uh, the premier fighting force where this country doesn't have to worry about foreign enemies. So anyway, Steve, do you want to touch on that a little bit? I've got some things to add to that, but I want to give you a shot at that if you want to. Well,
1: the military... Is generational. and By that I mean, it's it's like a eight ten year cycle to to flip it on whatever it was. After Vietnam, the army had some big problems, and they fixed it in the eighties, and everything was going great until early two thousands, and it flipped again. And they had to flip it back. So, it's a cycle, and I'm generalizing right now, but there's a cycle you have to go through. When I say it's generational within the army, because you typically have people that come in for four years and leave, and then you have a bunch that stay for twenty years. So that's your two metric. Uh, that's the two areas you can apply metrics to. Uh, why are you staying? Why didn't you stay? Those kinds of things. And some people just want to do a hitch and get out. That's, you know, whatever. But to your point, uh, how do you fix it? Um, well, frankly, you can't fix it until we fix what's going on with the government right now. Uh, the government's forcing things down people's throats that they have no right to do it. In fact, one of the things I wrote in my letter to the the brigade commander, as I said, uh, I told him two things. I said, you belong in the army our founding fathers rebelled against and overthrew. That was one, that's a pretty heavy thing for me to say to a, a senior, uh, almost flag officer. I said, now the situation is now beyond your control. And as the word gets out, it will continue to grow beyond your imagination. Many of us are still proud, once being soldiers and Marines accepting the greatest fighting force the world has ever seen because we're from the greatest country the world had ever seen. I said, you're destroying my legacy, those like me and my legacy, and killing those in the future because they put their trust in you. And when you go to war, they're going to die because they don't have the right trust model in place. You you know, the Marine Corps, I don't know what they're doing. I'm not a strategic guy anymore. I don't know that kind of stuff, but I don't know why they got rid of their tanks and a bunch of their fixed wings. So when you go in to uh, hit the beach, so to speak... You just got your rifle, I guess now, maybe a little artillery, I don't know. um, you can't rely on naval gunfire because you might be thirty forty miles inland, you know et cetera, et cetera so that you can just see this whole thing, but you have to go back to the Clinton era when he moved the the mission of the National Guard, so like if you might have been in a um an infantry unit, suddenly you're now in a truck driving unit uh, and a whole lot of things moved over to the Army reserve. And so they kind of kept the combat forces, so to speak. Uh, and governors didn't have much to say about that. You know, governor wants trucks and they want people that can, you know, dig holes and fill sandbags and things like that. They don't really need tanks. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of weird stuff that went on during the Clinton administration. But the big thing he did was he got, of, was it, eight combat divisions? And we still have a mission in the Army to fight two wars in two different places. We can't do that. We don't have the capacity to do that. And with them eroding the NCO Corps training privates that the way uh, you make things happen is by calling people racist or calling them uh, uh, women haters or or whatever it is you happen to be using that they love to use so much in the press. Uh, How do you expect to even win the dust up any place you go? You know, you still got the Rangers. You've still got uh, the Green Berets. You've still got a lot of good elite units. And that's because they keep ranks closed around them. You're not going to get through the evaluation process with this, this DEI stuff. Well, eventually the, Discover that, and they'll start doing that. Start putting them in. I remember, uh, well, you know, I don't want to get into the, uh, the equality portion of this thing. Um, generally speaking, men can lift more weights than women can. They can generally run faster than women can run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's just biology. It's the way God made people. Uh, you have an exception from time to time, that's fine. But that exception, when you put them in with a bunch of men, uh, you, you're going to have fireworks at some point in time because the way God wired us, well, I can only think of one political party that banned God. They're the ones in charge right now. And we have to take those things in consideration. When you look at the military and how it's designed essentially in levels of three, that's the same way God designed things in the Bible. What a coincidence! Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Um, in my particular branch of the service, I spent most, i spell my active duty time, and for all practical purposes, it was for God, country, and core. Well, that's a pretty good motto, you and know, I think we could probably all use that. And uh, I went to Kosovo. I was deployed in there from the National Guard here in Arizona. And uh, I've got some pretty neat pictures. The guy on his uh got horses drawing his wagon with the tires, regular tires for wheels, going by the house that's burning. And it was all about a religious thing that was going on with it. That we decided to get involved in whether we should or not. But you look back over our history from World War II who's involving us in the wars? Uh, who's not letting us win the wars? And now here we are at the other end of this where we're going to make sure we can't win a war. Um, One last story, Desert Storm, Desert Storm, that wasn't called Desert, it was prior to Desert Storm. uh, I forgot what the name of it was at the time, but it was when I ran over through the, what was the name of the guy that ran the country and I ran at the time?
2: Uh, Uh, The Isla Toa? The Shah of Iran, yeah, it was the Shah.
1: We used to call him, I told you how many took over, but they had told him how many took over. Okay, so we had a bunch of hostages over there. I had a couple of friends involved in that. I just gotten out of the Corps at the time. And uh, what happened on that, according to him, it's the 53s were going off to do their thing out of the desert. And because of the attrition of senior petty officers and uh, the, the media, the, what you call your middle management petty officers in the Navy, the uh, crew chief wasn't as experienced as somebody normally would have been if they had, had such a high attrition rate with the Navy uh, petty officers for uh, plane maintenance and uh, all those kinds of things you have to do as a crew chief. Uh, they, they put a box in front of one of the coolers for the uh, servo system. And when it froze up, it torqued and ca- caused the helicopter to torque and it ran into the other one. Now, that's what he told me from inside baseball. I can't prove it. I am just tell you that's what I heard. That's what screwed up that particular mission. And the way we finally got the people back was, is it's my understanding again, uh, Reagan sent a message over there and said, look, I'll let, I'll let you, Mr. Carter, take the, uh, I'll let you take the, uh, be famous for getting the hostages back. But he sent a message that says, give our hostages back. Or we're going to glass the area or something like that. You know, it was, it was a war type thing. In other words, give us our people back or be big in trouble. I knew the security officer at the embassy in Iran. I knew what, cause remember I was on Marine security guard duty. So I knew some of the players that were in the thing. And I talked to a couple of them afterwards what was going on at that embassy in Iran before they actually were, um uh, turned into basically POWs. Um, there was a lot of death and destruction going on prior to it. The rains held up pretty good. And uh, they were buried in, a, they put stuff in the garden so everything would grow good. So these are the things that really happened that were hidden from the public. Okay. So how can you have a cohesive force that's going to stand up there and do the foreign legion thing and die to the last man kind of mentality. Okay. <laughs> so They didn't do that, but, uh, when you got somebody worrying about, oh, gee, your wife is, uh, your wife's white, or uh, you know, you got a, you got a picture of Trump, or uh, you like to salute the flag. He had two of the recruits tell him that they hated the American flag. This is the people in boot camp. When I went through boot camp, it would have been obvious that they said something like that because they'd be on the way to sickbay, <laughs> because the rest of us wouldn't put up with that. So I, I guess that's probably about what I got to say. I don't want to just drawn on here. But I think it's despicable and reprehensible what the, the, the conduct that's being um, exhibited by the people that are in the leadership. They've done the purges, they've had what three purges over the last 20 years. Uh, and I will say one last thing, and it probably upset a few people but it. It's the way it is. The commissioned officers in all the militaries, generally speaking, have one thing in common. They've been indoctrinated in a college and drop the mic
2: that's that's a drop the mic moment i totally agree with your assessment on that Uh, as my beginnings was as an enlisted man and i was selected by a awesome nco to go cross over to the officer corps so i think he did that very wisely and that's that's essentially how i got into it and uh, traditionally, I think uh, NCOs really appreciate officers that have the enlisted background. And again, that kind of skips that whole college uh, brainwash mentality. And that's why you're seeing a lot of us uh, prior enlisted officers being outcasted so much out of this group. This is one, this, I'm an example of that purging, as uh, Steve is mentioning there. Now, on this story, this story is going to be linked uh, to the write-up in this. Uh, you can email this private chain of command. There's a place to do that. You'll find it if you read the story. So you can actually email the chain of command. This, is, this would be a good thing to express uh, American patriots' opinions on what's going on inside the military. Again, this is not like a one-off story. This is happening all through the military. There is record high suicides that is not being talked about. There's record high mental health problems going on in the military right now. You're not hearing a thing about it. But, you know, people like me who still stay connected uh, are hearing it all the time from uh, the people that are still in. Uh, So the military as a whole has become extremely toxic uh, the climate is extremely toxic. Nobody dares say anything because if you possibly do, you may get turned in and administratively punished like this young man. And this is acceptable now because of what I said earlier. COVID mandates allowed this all to happen. You no longer have to follow laws regulations and policies in fact the policies are being changed pretty quickly now right to allow these type of things uh so it's permissible to put somebody in solitary confinement like this young man he had to sleep away uh he had to have his meals fed to him while he stayed in a room More MREs. mres yeah Before mres one. to mention yay uh, not not hot meals so he's pretty much treated like a prisoner and He's not the only one. This happened during the COVID era. We've done many interviews on our past whistleblower reports of people treating, being treated this way. Uh, so it's continuing on. So we're talking th- four years now of mistreating people, extremely toxic environment. And this is why there is such a recruitment woe. Uh, when people get out, Or when people are asked about uh, what's it like in the military, there's bad reports being sent out. So there is not a good message going out of what's going on inside the military. In fact, I think the Sergeant Major pointed out pretty good that some of the people that are within the military, that are accepted into this new political culture, aren't willing to fight for the flag. They don't even like the flag. This is a scary proposition in a moment where we seem to be in wars everywhere, at least to some degree, whether we're uh, just near it or we're funding it or we're supplying military arms. We seem to be nearing many wars at this moment where the military has no trust, has a big trust problem. So anyway, that's what we wanted to highlight with this story. It's incredibly important for the United States Patriots to get involved with this, go to this story, uh, Email the chain of command. This is how you can, you know, make our voice be heard in this story. I want to thank all the donors that have signed up and given donations to our uh, foundation. Uh, You have supported America's Finest with the previous uh, lawsuits that we have waged in the COVID era. We're looking to do that more and more as we look to help vaccine-damaged people. In others. So your foundation is supporting our vaccine damaged uh, uh, medical diagnostic system that we have set up. Uh, we have uh, created COVID uh, vaccine treatment guides, radiation treatment guides, and many other helpful documents that can be used. So go to www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. Sign up for our email alerts. Check out all our resources that we provide from medical advice to ministry help and constitutional right information. We thank you. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope we have compelled you to do something like go check out this chain of command, this rogue chain of command and email them. That is your constitutional duty. So this is Mike and Steve signing off.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent. No more. We urge you to sign up for our email alerts. Donate to support our legal defense work to secure the human and civil rights secured by law and to live our lives in accordance with the U.S. Constitution and God's truth. We are here to bring you hope and solutions for such a time as this. With all that is assaulting our way of life, join us and stand strong against the lies and deception and speak out, get loud, get involved. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.